0: This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal.
1: Are we not the best of some friends already? Only in media. Okay.
0: Hello everyone, while some teams bear down under an avalanche of criticism, the Dallas Stars are moving into the second round of the playoffs, it's time to a little bit of stargazing. Mark, Taylor, Tyler, how are you? Hey, doing great. I'm, I apologize, Hi. Tyler, I'm so used to it being Taylor, I think <laughs> we were talking precast, it's been, the last time we did this was the Doomcast, so different vibe in the room
2: today. Very different vibe, I'm just all grins this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and that's I not really-
1: just Boston related,
2: right? No, not well, uh, predominantly Boston-related, but not just them, right? <laughs> it is always
0: funny to see it's funny when it's not your team. When it's when it's your team, it's it's a horrible tragedy, and and how can we live? It is interesting to me the the vibe around like when a, a Stanley, when when the number one seed goes down, right? Because as somebody that bizarrely splits his sporting time between like soccer and hockey there there's one part of my sporting brain that separates the regular season from the playoffs. Hey, it's a big deal. The Bruins were a great team, historically wonderful, yada, yada, yada. But then the other part of my brain is like, and they failed. Uh, So it's, it's interesting, even though like, what's the status? Like what seven number one seeds have won the Stanley cup final. And um, you know, only 10 have made it. So like you have a better chance of seeing an eight seed win in the first round than you do a one seed winning the whole thing, but it's still cursed, I guess it's, it's weird, man.
1: Well, I mean, it, it just kind of—it's statistically true. I mean, the best team's gonna get all the way through more often, but it—it's a struggle. You have to win. You have to win four series, so that's uh, you know, in a sport that has random bounces, getting through four uh, flips of the coin that give you tails is gonna be somewhat unusual, no matter what.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, if you were to look at the playoffs is essentially like the mentality so many teams have in of if you get in, anything can happen. And you say, okay, you have a one. in every team has a one in 16th chance, you know, to win it all. Then, you know, president, president trophy odds are actually pretty good. Uh, You know, I think what happens specifically with some of those teams, more so than others, such as the Bruins this year, it's, it's just when you look so dominant in the regular season, It just looks like you need to um, uh, overall cases like you should just be steamrolling, you know, 30 percent, you know, cup odds or stuff like that. And so when you fall short of that, especially like in the first round, that's when it looks like a total disappointment.
1: Yeah. Well, and you you have a close to home example of the exact same thing with the Idaho Steelheads, you know, the, the ECHL affiliate for Dallas. I mean, they, they did the exact same thing at the ECHL level where they set a record for, for number of points. And yet Utah rolls into Boise and wins the first two. And then Idaho has to go on the road to Utah and win three overtime
0: thrillers in order to, in order to kind of come back. But that series could have been gone real quick. And it's, it's the people aspect too, right? It's, it's, and starting to segue back to Dallas Stars, and I'm not the first person to cover this, nor the only, but it makes you think about the job of, of the coach and the organization and the leadership and talking Stars, right? Go Going all the way back to game one, Pavelski's been brained. They lost a tight game. The press is baiting DeBoer into saying something foolish in front of the media. And instead, you get calm and projection because, Mark, to your point, it, you know, once this stuff goes bad, we forget that it's it's human beings in the laundry and they have thoughts and and all of those. And, you know, once things start to snowball, it can you can see it manifest on the ice and the way teams play, whether it's an underdog getting, you know, the, this, the whiff of blood and thinking "Oh, we can take this. We can win this series or whether it's the favorite getting nervous and all of a sudden kind of overthinking things. And how do we get through? What do we do? Oh, no. Oh, no. Right.
1: Yeah, and, and you know the opposite can happen too, which is I think what we saw with Minnesota in Game Six, where where the realization had come on to them by by the time they were down a little bit in that game that they just didn't have anything in the tank in order to in order to come back and win. They, their strategy was to get physical.
0: the 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 physical strategy had fizzled, and uh, they were a beaten team. I, I love that. Let's let's start there. W- why not? We 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 are sitting on the precipice of tomorrow. We're recording on Monday morning. Tomorrow Dallas will open their second round series against the Seattle Kraken who saw off the Colorado Avalanche uh, of course 4 to 2 series win against Minnesota. Mark got your take. Tyler, what what's your you know, kind of one sentence, you know, one thought summary of the first round for the Stars?
2: I mean to, to bar to kind of make fun of a certain team's slogan. Uh, I would have to say hashtag grit failed (laughs) Uh, because I I think kind of Mark was saying, like you saw Minnesota get into this, you know, that was their identity. They were playing this very uh, physical, you know, the playoff hockey, quote unquote, where they kind of dragged things down into the neutral zone. They slowed things down. They played very heavy. They played very aggressively, you know, and in many regards that worked. I mean, they, for a lot of the series, they kind of, shut down the stars at even strength. But the flip side of that is that when you play really physical a game of hockey, and especially in the first round, you know, there's, if you look at people that talk about, you know, officiating in the playoffs, it tends to always be the, the, the trends tends to be that the beginning of the playoffs are actually very heavily penalized, even though we don't associate with that because, you know, the refs are trying to crack down and they want to make it seem like, okay, this isn't just w- a free for all. We're going to be serious business. You know, and then as the playoffs go on and it gets farther, that's when they start to choke the whistle more and more. So they're playing this, they want to play this very physical game that ends up meaning a lot of of penalties on both sides of the ice. And the Stars just absolutely crushed them from the special teams perspective to the point where in that final game six, you know, there was not many penalties at all. There was pretty much, I think it was like two and two, maybe two and three a piece, because you could tell Minnesota wasn't, trying to instill that, you know, grit first, you know, physical hockey because it's burning them so much in special teams. And once they did that for that final game, that's when suddenly Dallas started succeeding at five on five and really, you know, put the game away and wasn't much doubt. You know, once Minnesota had to abandon their identity because it wasn't working, it was it was curtains for them.
0: Yeah it's it's an old I remember this was the the Detroit Firewagon teams right when they were winning back to back cups and and Boma was at the helm I remember one time the and I may be paraphrasing or mis this but you know there was a quote at one point about how our penalty or sorry our power play is you know, one of our, one of our enforcers and Tyler, I think you made the exact point in Minnesota came in with an identity and a goal. They were going to try and run the stars out of the, out of the building and turn it into, you know, turn it into kind of a slugfest and it worked for, for large stretches. And it worked it worked for stretches throughout the early part of the series, certainly the first half of game one um, and then game three as well. But when you have a, th- I think they finished the series with 37 and a half percent on the power play. Like they scored 11, nine goals, nine power play goals, right? When, when you can damage a team so severely with the extra man, it, it has that effect that, that you have to scale back on the physicality. And I think it was a combination of uh, Dallas staying patient, not panicking, you know they they think about right. Think about the alternate universe take. Right, the very first game of the series, they lose one of their best players. Then they, um, you know, then they lose in overtime when they are carrying play. And we all think, oh, things are back to normal after game two when they they roll. And that's that's the series we were expecting. And of course, game three is another major letdown, right? And it, all of a sudden, our you know fans are. It, it's a team that might have been fragile, right? Is kind of confronted with this. Oh, we've had one great result, one terrible result. Or sorry, one great result, two terrible results. What do we do? And I think it's a testament to the stars that the answer for them was really, they tweaked. Right? They they changed some of the some of the way that you know. I think their zone exits got better. Over the course of the series. They they did a better job over the course of the series, getting possession, entering the offensive zone. But by and large, it seemed like Dallas's philosophy was we are a deeper team. We are a more skilled team. We are going to stick with that throughout this series and trust that eventually, you know, talent and and all of that overwhelms. And it did. They won three games in a row to to shut things down. And by the end, you know there by the end, the, the physicality had kind of evaporated. And it was mostly just Dallas. We talked early in the series about whether or not Dallas could kind of put their stamp on things, inflict their style. And I think by the end of the series, it was Dallas stars style hockey, and we got the result that that could be expected from that.
1: yeah. and and of course you're you're giving the short shrift to uh, to Joel Hanley,
0: of course. Oh man! Let's uh, speaking of Joel Hanley, who are and we'll we'll start with you, Mark, because you made me giggle, and then Tyler, you'll have a little bit of extra time to think. Who is your um, your Stars MVP for the first series?
1: I, I think it has to be rope Hints. I mean, he he was the one who kind of led the battle and and was always dangerous five on five, even when the Stars were relying on the power play, and his uh, he he was always a threat out there, and and by the end. What what he had six goals, uh, some something, something ridiculous like that. I forget the point total, but uh, you
0: know he led the stars. And, and oh, I have you. Good he on had, him. He had five goals and seven assists for a franchise record and NHL well, postseason leading twelve points in, five, yeah. in six games. Tyler, how about you? Who who do you think of when you think of the the stars' triumph in round one?
2: So I think there's many ways you can go from there. I think when you look when you're talking about the stars, like basically who had the best performance. You know, I think you could go with any one of the, you know, three other top players. You obviously, Rabe Hints was just lighting it up. Uh, Miro Heiskanen was doing an absolute fantastic job at shutting down Kaprizov and all the Wild. Uh, Jake Gottinger obviously was stealing games for us and was the reason was just frustrating the Wild beyond belief. I'm almost clearly closed out the series with two shutouts. But the name that you know immediately comes to mind when I'm thinking about players who kind of stood out this series for Dallas, even if he wasn't necessarily the best player, I have to say, Evgeny Dadanov made his presence known so well because we've always had this talk about the Stars, you know, in the past forever ages, even as the line has changed about being a, you know, one line, super line team that once you, if you're able to solve or get stop, you know, the top line, then that'll pretty much do it for you. And man, it feels like Whenever there was a case where Dallas really just needed a goal, um, whether it was to just put a little bit extra cushion on their lead or to try and tie things up or, you know, just when it was like, come on, we just need to score right now. It felt like there was, if Giddy Dodonov either putting it top shelf or getting it over to Wyatt Johnson or something like that, it, it was just impossible to ignore his impact on this series. And that's what you always just love to see from your depth forwards. Yeah,
0: I, th- I think it's it's it is in part of why we get to where we got, which is Dallas winning in you know, relatively handily six game series is there are so many good answers to this question. I think that unquestionably. Right. And you, to your point about timing, right, the goal coming just after a penalty and then Wyatt Johnston his tally in game six at a point when you had to think as a wild, right. It was one of those next goal probably wins it situations because they weren't coming back from multiple. So yeah, they were huge goal, huge contribution from the deadline acquisition. I will give you two other names. One is pretty easy and the other is, is maybe a little bit more under the radar, but I think Tyler Sagan deserves a lot of credit. He had four goals and two assists, six points in six games. The big piece is, you know, how many, how many years it's, it's almost like karmic payback. I was thinking back to the St. Louis series when he sliced his Achilles tendon and how many postseasons has Dallas come in with a dominant first line only for some bad luck injury to take Tyler Sagan out of the equation and see the team struggle. And this was, this was the year where it happened to somebody else. And he and he'd done it earlier in the year. So it I wasn't so much surprised in the sense of, Oh my gosh, I can't believe he can contribute. He he'd done it next to Robertson and, and hence previously, but he stepped up and he kept the power play thrumming, which turned out to be really the pivot point of this series. And he kept that top line, you know, he was part of that top line being productive. And in a lot of the similar ways to Pavelski, like the the touch pass drop to Hints on the opening goal in game six, right? And and obviously Hintz deserves a ton of the credit for the move he put on Klingberg and the shot he put into the back of the net. But that play started in the defensive zone with a nice lead pass to Robertson on the wall, played it across to Sagan and Sagan put it in hence his path in a position that let him do all of that. So it wasn't just that Tyler stepped up. It wasn't just that Tyler stepped up and was productive. It was that Tyler stepped up and was productive in a way that allowed the broader kind of Dallas offensive machine to continue on functioning. Nothing broke. Tyler just stepped up and replaced, uh, you know, the contribution that they needed and, and got him through a tough series. So I think that was huge. And then the other name I will throw out there is what was the big, you know, fear coming into the playoffs was the defense. And, you know, Thomas Harley spent about, you know, a week, week and a half on the main roster and then in somewhat sheltered minutes, obviously. But, you know, looking at his contributions, played all six games and was a positive force in any, you know, name a defensive stat, right? He, I think he ended up with like a 5.1 expected goals for and a 3.0 expected goals against he, they, they outscored the opposition while he was on the ice. They outchanced the opposition while he was out on the ice. Like he stepped up and it wasn't, you know, NHL rookie Thomas Harley finding a way to keep the pace. It was, you know, show me his game in the playoffs. and And I dare you to tell me he's a kid that doesn't have, you know, three, four experiences in the league, including some runs. Like he played great.
1: Yeah, and you take a look at it, you see him in the middle of a of a scrum, and there he is with a big old grin on his face, just loving life.
0: <laughs> I mean, maybe that's the benefit of of keeping him, you know, down in Cedar Park for so long. By the time he got called up, he was too excited or angry or whatever you want to say to be overawed by the moment. But you know, again, and, and this was a team in Minnesota that was going to be physical and that was going to you know kind of take the body and, and try and jolt Dallas out of its game. And as a rookie defenseman, you know, 21 year old defenseman that didn't spend the entire season in the league, I was very impressed with how he handled things. And the fact that he was able to do that in you know, play on, he he averaged, I think uh, he averaged, I think 1543 a night. So he was playing significant time for a team that really needed to find a defenseman that could play significant time at at the deadline. So he was a big part of this in my mind. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and you, you talk about teams love to talk about, oh, they want to have, you know, big defensemen. They're able to throw their weight around and stuff like that. And when you think about Harley, if you just talk about Harley or you're just to hear him discussing, you know, his offensive abilities, his capabilities, you wouldn't expect him to be, you know, six foot three, like a pretty big guy. And, you know, I think we saw that definitely with this series of not only was he doing really well on defense, but just being able with Minnesota playing that very physical game. I, mean, I can't tell you how many times that they started to enter the offensive zone, Harley's back-checking, and then just goes up and just slams against, not having to poke-check the puck away or trying to get play defense, but basically you know checks the Minnesota player as they're entering, and then they that makes them cough up the puck, and then Dallas is able to pounce on it, his partner, or at the very least it disrupts the zone entry and makes it easier for Dallas to get positioned. So, I mean, I think definitely Harley looked like a player – I mean, Harley looked like a trade deadline acquisition and has so far. It looked like that, you know, when Dallas didn't make a move to improve their def- defense at the deadline. The talking point was, well, they view Harley as a possible quote unquote acquisition where they can bring him up and make that same impact. And you're kind of thought as like, OK, you know, he he's not a rookie, but there's a reason he's back in the HL. You know, how much of an impact do you really expect to see? And oh, boy, I mean, he looked every <laughs> part of that. Hey, here's this helping missing piece to acquire at the last minute to try and get you a deep run.
0: And I think it was significant. What, you know, we saw with Colin Miller, right? He played three, he played three games and then got swapped out for Mark's favorite player, Joel Hanley. And thinking about the Dallas defense and the way that they were, if, if Harley hadn't been able to step up and play the way he played, then what happens, right? Does Miller come back? You know, does, does Miller come back in? Do you risk, you know defrosting those Lundquist and we can talk about whether or not he should have been in a position to help but like if 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 things if everything else had stayed stable but Harley had not played well then that is a crucial problem for the stars because all of a sudden you're having to do something drastic on the back line. Is it another, you know, do you, do you go fishing in the AHL for, for another black ace? Do you force Miller to stay in the lineup and replace Harley with Hanley? Do you go to Lundquist? Like, all, you know, the options get bad. So the fact that Harley occupied a lineup spot meant that Dallas could survive with 11 minutes and four seconds of Joel Hanley and not, you know, break the team basically so it was one of those it wasn't quite as dramatic it reminds me of the world series when when the, the last rose won it years ago or they, they didn't win the world series that year but when uh, clemens had to come in in relief and it was one of those situations where there was nobody really behind harley that could play the meaningful minutes that he had to play so he sort of he sort of had to pan out or dallas was going to have a very very large problem on its hands
2: yeah, yeah. And, I, and i think further to your point the reason why to me dallas looked like such a complete team and a holy holy crap this team might go the distance is because outside of miller who was able who was you know had a kind of rough series and got benched in their place like you know you you look at the stars team, especially last games and you can't really find a player that you're saying oh god like i, I hate to when they're on the ice they're going to their achilles heel i mean because that's where i mean Ryan Suter, after getting dragged all year, had a really strong series. You know, we had good defensive and power play, uh, or penalty killing from you know and Foxa, and like the fourth line spent a lot of time just in the opposition zone, eating up time. I think when you're looking at Dallas for the performance, there was no player that you know sort of weak spot for the most part, yeah. where it felt like that's when this is Minnesota's time to chan- uh, pound. So this person is on the ice, uh, this is mistakes. Let's hit it. And so everyone, for the most part, I mean, at worst, you were kind of just there for Dallas. But for the most part, it, these were very solid performances throughout the entire lineup. And that's what, if I'm a team like Seattle or, you know, possibly Vegas or Edmonton, depending on how this next series round goes out, that's what scares me about Dallas is it's saying, OK, there's not the specific line or um, system that we can exploit because they are all showing up to play. Yeah, yeah Mark, I, I saw you were jumping uh, in
1: there. I was just going to say, I, I think we should probably give Ryan Suter some props there. He uh, he upped his level. He took on the Minnesota anger and, and kind of funneled it into an improved game. And there aren't a whole lot of guys, I think, who can do that. And uh, the interesting question for me is, was that Minnesota-specific or... Uh, or moving on to a next round does does Suter have that
0: same edge that he played with against Minnesota Yeah cuz they're certainly going to need him to right yeah. it's it's a this this is still a defensive unit you know, they, they answered a lot of those questions against the Wild, but those the the test is only going to get harder with a, a Seattle team that that likes to attack and is going to apply, you know, different sort of pressure, a, a speed pressure that he struggled a bit with in the regular season. But yeah, this is all about giving flowers and he was very much a part of the winning calculus in game one. So to your point, like he he took that, you know, the burden of, of kind of a rough season and certainly a rough return and, and all of the noise and gave them you know, six really good games and a, and a series win. So yeah, i way, way to go way to go suitor. And, and to well, your point, yeah, Mark, please. No, I,
1: I was just going to say it, it it was one of those things where Minnesota was already pretty rabid, but it gave, it gave everybody a focus point and it gave them a focus point on somebody who isn't necessarily a, a quote unquote key contributor you know, the the amount of anger that you got out of out of the wild related to the pretty brutal cross checks that uh, the, that Suter threw on uh, Kaprizov early on in the season, took their focus and and their focus of their physicality onto a player who could take it as
0: opposed to putting it on you know Haskinen or Hintz or somebody else. Yeah, I agree. And and the other point, Tyler, to kind of bind what you're talking about, and you mentioned this earlier. Looking at the series, this wasn't a case where. You know, Dadnoff went on a random heater, scored nine goals, and they advanced. This is if if you had projected, okay, how what is the what is the most likely path to success for the Dallas Stars, right? Balanced scoring, excellence from the top line, and you know, Miro doing Miro things and, and Jake Ottinger playing great in the crease, right? Like they advanced because everybody did what they'd been doing all season. And that to me as an opponent would be the real terrifying part because you don't really look at even, you know, Haskinen's ice time is, you know, went up to about 29 minutes. Everybody played a little bit more than they played during the regular season. You know, Hence was around 19 minutes. Robertson was 18, Sagan was 17. So everybody's up, you know, a minute or two, except for the depth lines. They're down that exact same time. But that's the part is you look at it and think this isn't there. There's not like a wheel wobbling or, or anything about to fall off here. This is just how you'd expect this team to play and they're having success. Well, we're going to take a very quick sponsor break here from our friends at the green team. And when we come back, we'll talk about, um, rounds to come because guess what? We get to talk about rounds to come.
1: Oh, and I have a question deleted
0: off, (laughs) you know, Mark. People get hurt from car accidents, medical malpractice, and other personal injury accidents, but they never call an attorney. They leave thousands of dollars in medical bills and lost wages on the table that could otherwise be covered and instead just take the insurance company's word. This is silly when you could just call Robert Greening at Greening Law. Greening and his green team are fierce legal competitors for you against the insurance companies. Consultations are free, so you have nothing to lose. And there are no hourly attorney fees either. They only get paid if you recover. Right? These folks definitely need to call Robert Greening and the Green Team. Sure do. So remember, if you've been hurt in an accident, been a victim of medical malpractice, or have been hurt on a business's premises, call the Green Team at Greening Law in Dallas, Texas at 972-934-8900 now. They will fight your legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Greening Law, Office Dallas, Texas. All right, Mark, we we were promised a question, so, uh, so lay it on us, big man.
1: Simple, simple question who uh who leads the Seattle Kraken in
0: in goals scored so far in the playoffs Ooh, I have to omit myself from this question because I have the stat in front of me so Tyler why don't you uh why don't you take a stab at this one
2: I, I'm trying to right I remember at one point it was a stat that basically no Seattle only one Seattle Kraken player had scored more than one goal and it was just two of them I I I'm going to know, going to guess McCann, but I don't think that's right.
1: <laughs> McCann is one of the few, uh, other than being injured, one of the few Kraken who haven't scored. And, and the number is now up to three. They have three forwards who have two goals, and that would be uh, Jaden Schwartz, Morgan Geeky, and uh, all in one game, Oliver Bjorkstrand.
0: But I believe Yanni Gord is the point leader for the Seattle crack. And I think he's got a goal and six assists or something like that. Yep. Good, good old six
1: points. So a, a, again, and, and pretty much everybody has scored. So you have depth going all the way down, but no, it, it's a lot. It's a lot like playing the stars, except without the, the top line, you have scoring that can come from anywhere up and down the lineup. Uh, Seattle kind of runs uh, four lines. They have skilled guys. Their fourth line isn't necessarily a grinder line. It's a it's a line that can use some speed and put the puck in the net. So it's a different challenge than what we had in Minnesota. Yeah, I think yes. there were
0: in the regular season. I think there were six twenty goal scores, um, including forty for Jared McCann. He was there by far and away, almost, almost double, uh, the next guy behind him. So it's, it's sort of the anti-wild where there were a bunch of role players and one or two guys to kind of stir the drink offensively. You don't get the same high end. I don't think it's an insult to anybody on, you know, no, no offense, Jordan Eberle, right. But there is no, you know, Cyril Kaprizov on the Seattle Kraken. But at the same time, they're also not relying on Ryan Reeves to contribute meaningfully or, or some of the, the depth, the lower, you know, they don't have, um, Ryan Hartman is their number one center, exactly.
1: Yeah, uh, you, you'd argue that Beniers, uh, a rookie, is their number one center,
0: who's not as good as Wyatt Johnston. Just putting it out into the, <laughs> <laughs> it out in the universe.
1: We aren't biased or anything. I love.
0: Well, it's, this is the revenge tour, right? Jason Robertson got got his got his comeuppance on Kaprizov last round. Now it's up to Johnston to to demonstrate his superiority over Matty Beneers. It's it's the subplot.
1: Ooh, and then then we're going to get Miro and McDavid
0: maybe i mean listen ooh. i don't want to get ahead of myself but that is a that is a tasty tantalizing matchup but yeah so that i think that's a good point though this the the challenge for the stars changes right i don't think that you know and the way that seattle plays dallas is not going to be physically challenged in terms of every time you turn your back somebody's hitting you right seattle they they are a physical team they're not they're not by any stretch not but they, it's not their calling card they're fast and they're distributed. And this is going to be a series where you can't just stick Miro's pair out against, you know, one offensive unit and consider it job done. There are going to be threats coming up and down the lineup. And so that's going to be an interesting, you know, Dallas is going to have to play fast and Dallas is going to have to play deep. And that's something I'm going to be watching. Tyler, what, how about you? What what are your thoughts heading into the series?
2: Yeah. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head there where, like we talked about the one of the strong points about the Minnesota series was that you had strong contributions throughout the lineup and you're going to have to see that here again, because, and that's where Dallas, you know, benefits, not just from, you know, they're having good depth play, but also just let's be frank, they're healthy and everyone is in the lineup. I mean, one of the issues you ran in with Colorado with all the talent they have is, you know, but Landis Kog never made his comeback for the playoffs. You know, Nechushkin went out on personal leave, you know, just two games in. Carr was suspended for a game. Uh, Cogliano ended up getting uh, taken out uh, due to his neck injury at the very end. So you had, what you basically have for your Colorado is you had a lot of players that had those, that weren't playing the full seven games, player, teams that, players that had to come in to fill the spot. And that started to create a little bit of cracks in their lineup. And, you know, kind of like how the Stars work as well, the Kra- Kraken are very good at, you know, we're going to put, you know, we're going to have a different player, whoever's on the ice, they're going to be able to help try and make something happen or do well. So that's kind of the the matchup. And I think if you're a Kraken fan, what you now have to kind of be worried about looking at the Stars is, okay, the Stars can also roll out their lines and, you know, keep it and always have a threat on the ice. But they also have the superior star power, you know, in terms of their, you know, top lines and their top players. And if we're not, if the Kraken aren't playing a physical game like the Wild, does that open up, you know, five on five so that Jason Robertson can start to light things up again? You know, if Pavelski's back. How does that impact? So I think yeah, that's the kind that's, of the difference between the two teams.
0: And let's talk about how critical Dallas's performance was. There were definitely he's there if we need him vibes. Coming out of the Stars Camp Pavelski, of course, traveled with the team for Game Six. Uh, he was li- officially listed as a game time decision. You have to think that they would have found a way to get him into the lineup had they needed him in Game Seven. But instead, Dallas took care of business, gave him another three days to recover. And if he is back, and obviously, you know, this is a sports podcast, so we're talking about on the ice. We're we're under the we're assuming that it is the right choice for him, the person, and and you know all of the physical issues. But if he's back then that's a huge deal
1: yeah i i think i think on the other side it's uh you know the top line is is a differentiator here but i think there's going to be a lot of pressure on somebody like adam larson who uh who's going to be taking the big minutes and trying to shut down that top line
0: the trade was one for one mark just just to remind you
1: (laughs) that is true um The the other thing the other thing that I'm interested in seeing is whether Grubauer can can hold up against the team that's firing on all cylinders.
0: Uh, I, I'm glad you said that. That's where I was going. So he had a uh, in the regular season. Do you guys want to do prices right style on Martin? <laughs> or, I'm sorry, Philip Grubauer's regular season save percentage.
1: I uh, was well, it, it's south of of ninety percent, I believe.
2: So I'm I I'm going to go eight eight ninety six. Eight ninety six, Tyler. I think. I would take a little. I think it was like an 889 or something like that.
0: Mark, I was about to wake wake the neighbors. It was it was 895. So he was yeah. And then of course in the first round, because the NHL is what the NHL is. Does anybody want to take a crack at? So 895 during the regular season. We have a he started he yeah he started 36 games. So we have a 36 game sample size. He's an 895 goaltender in seven postseason games. Where where is he sitting? Tyler, you got to go first this time.
2: I think I might have been thinking about Jones. I think it was like nine twenty-two.
1: Mark, I'm, 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 well, if we're going price and prices right, I'm going to go higher.
0: Yeah, he was nine twenty-six because hockey makes sense and is something we can predict. So, you know, if if you're it, it cuts both ways, right? If if you're the Stars, you're excited about the prospect of encountering a goaltender that was perhaps not stellar during the regular season. But you are terrified of the fact that that goaltender is on a heater right now and just built a really good team. And the NHL postseason graveyard is littered with tombstones that say, you know, got goalied right here, but for the grace of a blocker. And so it's it's going to be a major pivot point on the season, which version of Grubauer is between the pipes, because all the stuff we're talking about, there's going to be a little bit more space. There's probably going to be a little bit more tempo. And if there's not the goaltending to correspond, you gotta like your chances if you're the Dallas Stars.
2: Yeah, and part of it is another stat I found I saw you know last night, and it's you know obviously it's going to look very similar to the regular season playoff stats because Seattle was playing um, you know Colorado for seven games, but you know Grubauer's when you combine the regular season and the playoffs, Grubauer was against Colorado. Uh, (laughs) 0.927 and against teams not named Colorado he was a 0.892 so you really it's fun to think about narratives and oh this was a guy who he ended up leaving Colorado and then they for more money because they want to give it to him and then they want a cup without him you know is there a chip on the shoulder but you also kind of have to think if that there's just a not even necessarily a chip but if there's just a familiarity with how Colorado plays from being there for so many years and playing against those same players and defending them in practice and in game stuff like that, you almost have to wonder if that was an edge. And now that it's facing a very you know, similar other guards, but otherwise a different team in Dallas, if suddenly we start to get to see some of that magic run off, or if it's a case of, you know, like he did with Colorado before. And, you know, because before Seattle, he, there's a reason Seattle gave him that, you know, massive contract because he was, you know, fantastic. So you have to kind of wonder if he's just recapturing some of that magic. But I, I think that's the key for Seattle in this series. You know, we talked about the, the the difference in the top of the talent. You know, Grubauer has to continue his performance. He can't afford to have off games because he, he has to play up to the level of, of Jake Ottinger, at least close. Uh, otherwise, there's it's definitely a case that where this game, the series gets quickly out of hand.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't I don't think as as balanced as they are, I don't think Seattle has the firepower to win uh to win a series when their goaltender is below ninety percent, right? Like if he's a regular season guy, you, you gotta think that that Dallas likes those odds. Marks, any key for you? Well, I think the key for me is
1: that I, I think the Stars, and I hate to say this, need to be the team that maintains structure in this game. So they're the ones who need to be clogging up the middle. The, the yep. way the Wild clogged up the middle against the Stars, and I think the Stars cycle game, and you know somebody like Didanov and Domi, and, and getting that top line getting onto one of these creative cycles where they just you know turn in a barrage of shots that ultimately beat down a goaltender. That's important. And Seattle is going to try and stretch that out, and you know the the concern on the other end is going to be, hey, we gave up all these odd man rushes to Minnesota. What in the world are we going to give up against the
0: Kraken? Yeah, and I love you. I love that you bring up the concept of a barrage too, because this is a this is a series now, right? So every time you get a shot, every time you make the goalie work, every time you extend a shift, it's no longer just about that game. It's about if you get 30 shots plus 40 shots in game one, does that make game two easier? Does that make game four easier? Game six easier, right? These things accumulate. And so Dallas keeping the pressure on a goaltender that maybe didn't have, yeah, I think that's a huge, it's going to be a huge part of their ability to succeed here.
1: Yeah, and here I think, you know, having watched a bit of the of the Avalanche Kraken series, I think what we needed to, we, we're, we're going to have to find a way to get, Point shots through their shot blocking. They they do a pretty pretty good job of of getting in the way of the puck, and so uh, that's why I think it's important for us to get that cycle game and the passing going. Because I think so. otherwise otherwise you're you're just going to be pounding pounding pucks off and off of legs.
0: I think that, and especially because. You know, against Minnesota, Dallas was playing. I think the Wild had, and part of this is Dallas's excellence, but the Wild finished the series with with a 62 and a half percent penalty kill. The color, the uh, Kraken played the Avalanche and had an 88.9 percent, second best in the entire league in the first round. So Dallas is going to need to be able to sustain pressure. Dallas is going to need to be able to get shots through. Dallas is going to be able to need to generate offense especially five on five, because this might not be a series where they can waltz. And as good as Dallas power play has looked, this is, this is, uh, it's going to go from being the immovable object versus the, you know, the missable force into like, this is going to be strength on strength on that side of the special teams equation. So Dallas is either going to need to solve what has been a very good PK, or they're going to have to find ways to win games without doing that. You know, flip side, Seattle has a 14% Power play—they're the worst power play amongst uh, second worst in the entire first round, worst amongst teams that have advanced. They finished uh, just above, sorry, third worst. Um, they finished just above the Colorado Avalanche, who they were tormenting, and the Islanders, um, beneath the Wild, Knights, Devils, Hurricanes, all of that. So you would think that Dallas's strong penalty kill is something they're looking to continue, while circling and underlining the uh, power play, thinking how do we keep this as a weapon and how do we augment if it t- uh, tails off any.
1: Well, and this is the this is, I think, the thing that makes the Dallas Stars such a good pick to, to make a deep run this year in that they have a group that can go out there and play different styles and be highly successful at them. And, and so they they played one way against Minnesota and they're they're going to play almost uh, almost you know 180 degrees different against the Kraken and they're going to be successful at it, I think. You know, they, they have some definitive advantages, and if they can exploit those advantages, they're going to be able to roll through it. If they can't defend against the speed, and that's something they've had a problem with in the past, then it's going to be a really difficult series.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think going back, there was a and I wouldn't bring this up earlier, and then I noticed that KT actually shared in our chat. You know, there was a tweet from Jesse Marshall, who does a it's a Street Lancer for the Athletic McKeens. And he basically said, uh, the Dallas Stars are a problem, officially— How do you want to play? They're happy to accommodate you and whoop your ass however you'd like to go about it. And, you know, I think that's definitely the, you know, the kind of mantra that the reason Dallas looks so deadly for this playoffs. And I think that's what you'd like to see from a Stars fan perspective that, okay, going up against Seattle with a very different style of play, very different um, series matchup. Are you going to see Dallas, you know, OK, sure, we're not playing this physical game that Minnesota dragged into to us. You know, let's just shift gears and we're going to play the best hockey we can to beat the Kraken specifically and, and move on. I mean, because that's what they kind of did with the Wild. They kind of just said, all right, however you want to play, if this is how you want to go about it, we'll beat you. You know, stop playing grit first in the final game. OK, we'll still beat you okay, on to Seattle, how do you you want to play fast? You want to make sure that you don't have the edge in the special teams? Okay, we'll still beat you. That's the kind of mantra Dallas has got to have, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out.
0: I'll add my piece on, and then we'll wrap this up. The other thing worth watching for the Stars, and it was similar in the first series, and they overcame it, is there is a whole different kind of angst. (laughs) We We felt it as fans, but as team, there's a whole different mentality when you enter the series with an expectation. And for the second series in a row, Dallas should advance. It should be close. Seattle is a very good team. It could absolutely go either way. This is the NHL playoffs. But if you just stack the rosters top to bottom, take into account current performance, current health, this is a series that the Dallas Stars should win. And it will be interesting to see how this group and you know most of this group's great successes have come from kind of fighting underneath. Right. So it will be interesting to me to see how. You know, the the likes of Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan and Joe Pavelski and, and Miro and, and, you know, Rupe and the crew, how Pete DeBoer as well. How they keep this group um, kind of firing all cylinders if, sorry, not if because it's going to happen, but when adversity strikes, right? Because this, they're going to have to go through that. We've, we've just watched a couple of favorite teams get upset. We've watched some wobbles in the first round, right? This is a team that that they're coming in with a little bit of swagger. They got, they got smacked in the face. I think it was what five to one. In game three against minnesota, and and things looked pretty bleak, and they responded by winning three in a row. so what what are they going to do to make sure that the the edge that they have? Doesn't turn into complacency and what are they going to do to make sure that the first time they get punched in the face, they don't respond with, you know, panic and with, you know, altering their style because they, they oversaw that challenge in the first series. They, they struggled, they overcame, they looked great by the time it was all said and done. They, they passed that test. They got to do it three more times. It's only going to get harder. So that's, that's one thing I'm really on top of. I think the very good points that you both made. The other thing that I'm going to be watching is, is how is this team going to continue to manage itself as they hear more and more Dallas is a wagon, Dallas can play any style you want Dallas is favorite, right? There's going to be a lot of, a lot of comments like that. How do they, how do they perform?
1: Yeah, and, and this is a team that in the past has had the ability to read their own headlines and cough up a hairball periodically. So uh, we, we need to avoid that.
0: Yeah, that would be very nice. My, my blood pressure, as well as the sleep schedules of my children, knowing that we're going to get a bunch of late starts. There are a lot of reasons why they would be well served to not um, buy into their own hype. But at the same time you still got to be confident. They should they have every they have every right to carry themselves like a good hockey team. They need to play like it. We talked about imposing styles, applying pressure. They need to play like a good team, not a counterpunch I hope we can hang team, right? And so it's it's going to be a, a line to walk we'll we'll close here so we we gave kind of the one sentence summary of of the last series and Tyler I'm going to put you on the spot first so just get ready think about the first 10 minutes of game 1 tomorrow versus Seattle what is one you know what are what are you going to need to see to help you relax as much as anyone can relax this time of year obviously
2: i think you've got to see the stars top line Continuing or improving upon what they're doing, you need to be able to watch the game and see. Okay, now that it's not as physical, now that there's more space for the move, um, I think you need to see the top line really make their presence known, even if not necessarily scoring, but you know being able to get into the offensive zone and stay there so that they can t- kind of set up those opportunities that we've come to expect from the likes of Robertson or whatnot, um, and whether it's you know Sagan or Pavelski up there, uh, we'll find out. But I think that's the that was kind of the one issue or kind of war you still have is, okay, outside of, you know, Sagan had all the power play goals, but it wasn't necessarily as much on even strength. And the same thing with uh, Robertson, all of his points coming from the power play uh, until like the last game. So I think even strength, you want to see that top line make their presence known and say, hey, we don't just have the depth, we have the star power. And that's going to be our difference maker for this series.
0: I like that. Mark, how about you?
1: I, I think Seattle comes out throwing haymakers. Uh, they're going to be up on their skates. They just finished the uh, seventh game. The Stars have been off a couple days. So they're they're going to be pushing the edge with their speed. They're going to try and get odd man rushes and how the Stars withstand that first 10 minutes and whether they can set up traps and turn that speed around and, 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 and make some counterattacks. Is is what I'm looking at, and if if Seattle can find a weakness that way, then they're just going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. So the Stars need to be ready to uh, to to fight back and that survive it and then get into their in, into their possession.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great flow is a theme that I'm getting from both of your comments, and I just contrast it to game one against Minnesota started just about as poorly as it could for the Dallas Stars. They couldn't move the puck, couldn't keep the puck, couldn't prevent you know. And against Minnesota, they, it, it was a problem. And so I think you're exactly right. This is a series. What I'm going to need to see is, is, again, that flu. Have they learned the lesson from round one? And are they are they feeling confident? Are they moving the puck? Are they looking for the open man? Obviously, Pavelski being on the, on the ice is going to be a big piece of it. Yeah, I think it's one of those, to use the cliche, it's going to be one of those we'll know when we see it moments. Just the way that the team's carrying itself, this team's body language tends to be pretty easy to decipher sometimes. And I think for me, the first 10 minutes, what I'm going to look for is, is this team, is this a team that is attacking with confidence, attacking with pace, and attacking with the intention of a group that knows it's good? Versus a group that expects things to happen for it, and that that's going to be the big right. Is is Dallas making things happen, or is Dallas waiting for things to happen? Because against Seattle, waiting will get you killed. Okay, I'm ready for hockey. Let's do it. We got a, another 24 hours. We'll see Let's what do the, that hockey. Do that hockey. Yep. We'll see what the Rangers and Devils bring us tonight. And uh, I know Tyler, you're you're masterminding a broader prediction piece. So keep an eye on the site for our expert prognostications more broadly. Thank you both for your time, KT for recording everything. Listeners, thank you for the downloads and the likes and doing all of that stuff. And stay tuned. We've got a lot of great coverage as hopefully the uh, March through the postseason continues. Thanks all. This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal.